Nat Barch is one of the busiest ladies in the Australian music scene, and she is a jazz piano player, a composer, a mother, and is also the current piano player for the Play School Show touring through Victoria. And she is our very special guest on this episode of the Australian Jazz and Groove Podcast. Australian Jazz and Group Podcast. My name is David Galea and it's my pleasure to be able to bring you some great music on this latest episode. The Australian Jazz and Group Podcast is an APRA-approved podcast that focuses on bringing the latest and the greatest Australian Jazz and Group music into the open. And if you would like to be in touch with us for any reason, please just email to Podcast at gmail.com or get in touch through Facebook or Instagram. So, what do we have in store for this episode? Well, as we mentioned in our intro, we are so happy to welcome special guest artist Nat Barch to the show, and she will be talking about all the fantastic work she has been doing in the classical world, the jazz world, and also the gig she landed with Play School. She is also a recipient of the Merlin Meyer Commission, and she will talk a bit about it in our interview. She's also releasing a classical album in May. That recording will be out on the ABC Classical label. She also helps us understand how she juggles her very busy schedule while being a mother and how jazz harmony helps her on the Play School gig. Really interesting discussion. So let's get into some music and a track from Canberra-based trumpeter Ben Marston. Now his work has been described as a delicate mix of ambience and jazz culminating into weightless soundscapes you can almost vanish into. That was taken from his website. Now Ben has both an honours degree in jazz performance and a master's in jazz composition from the Australian National University and has performed alongside the likes of Bob Bertels, James Morrison and Emma Pasch. And in 2014, Ben was nominated to the shortlist of the prestigious Friedman Fellowship Jazz Awards. So here is a track called Sleepyhead, which was taken from his recording Unfound Places, which also includes longtime collaborator Hugh Barrett on piano. So this is Sleepyhead.
So that was a track from a new recording from Aid Ish. Now you may remember that Aid was our very first guest on the Australian Jazz and Groove podcast, the interview that we did with him. And that's his latest release called The Red Door. And that track was entitled Siam Valley, which was written by myself and features Aid Ish on piano. 
Adam Donaldson on drums and myself on bass. And it was recorded live at RMIT in Melbourne. And it was the first time we'd ever played together as a trio. So who says you need to rehearse, hey? And before that, we heard from Ben Marston and a track called Sleepyhead. So it's time to introduce to you now our very special guest, Nat Barch. And as we mentioned earlier, Nat is a very busy woman with so many projects on the go. And it was so good to be able to talk to her during her busy schedule. Now, we will talk to her very soon. So let's listen to a track of hers from her new recording, which is coming out on the 26th of March, 2021, on the ABC Jazz label. And it's called Brightness in the Hills. Now, this is the title track from that album, and we would also just like to thank ABC Jazz for giving us the permission to use this on this podcast. So let's have a listen, and then we'll welcome Nat Barch for a chat.
my great pleasure to invite to the show Nat Barch to the Australian Jazz and Groove podcast. Welcome. Hi, how's it going? Yeah, very good. So nice to have you um, on the show. And as we were just talking before we started this interview, you've got a lot of things going on. But before we get to that, <laughs> how did yep. you, you are a piano player and a composer in living in Melbourne. How did you get into music? First of all, maybe a brief oh, rundown. Oh, <laughs> Uh, I started group music classes with the Yamaha Music School when I was four years old, um, and then I did the you know the the private piano lesson, yep. Amy B exam type thing, and then I stopped exams at grade six and I did VCE piano and I found myself really interested in all the twentieth century repertoire. Um, right. Yeah, like the Gershwin transcriptions and stuff like that, um, which then slowly led me to studying jazz at TAFE and then at uni. And now I'm back being a classical musician, so it's like I've come full circle <laughs> in some ways. Wow, that's cool. And yeah. I noticed that you said earlier that you've landed a gig doing the Play School show and yeah. playing piano and that, and that's very cool. Yep. I just wanted to know maybe what effect something like Play School had on you or can you actually sort of see oh, how, what so, effect that music yeah. had on children growing up now that you're about to go into this gig? Yeah, it's so true. I mean, you know, it's funny, you know, when you post stuff on social media, um, you always, you know, you should never measure things by the likes, of course, but I remember posting like, here's my, my new single, you know, it's sort of like a, you know, six-minute epic, you know, neoclassical chamber music piece. Yep. Um, and then when I posted a picture of me and Big Ted, like the DMs just blew <laughs> up, you know. <laughs> just, and I think like comparatively it was it was um, really monumental because I think ev everybody can, every Australian who was born between was it like 1965 and now has some kind of connection to play school, I think. Um, so it's, it's like a huge honour to be a piano player for play school. There's not that been mm. that many I don't think mm. um and it's funny because when I'm playing the show I do this you know a lot of it is improvised um or like or it can be improvised based around you know what what the dialogue is doing and what actions they're doing and stuff and I find myself playing these little flourishes and then going oh that really does sound like play school <laughs> like I think it, I think it's kind of in my DNA somewhere because that was probably one of the first tv shows I ever listened to so yeah it's yeah, that it's very special that's interesting. I remember as a young fellow watching Play School thinking, how does this guy know all these tunes? But now that mm. you've said that, a lot of it's improvised. Is that you, are you reacting to the improvised dialogue or is there a bit of a, 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 a script or are you just sort of in the moment composing mm. what you see? Um, I think so the, the Play School episodes are, they do have a script that they're written, even though they feel very really natural and spontaneous. A lot of you know care and thought goes into each episode, yeah, right. Um, and so yeah, and then that you have your nursery rhymes in there, um, uh, but then there's all this other incident, you know, all these little stings, I guess you'd call them, you yeah. know, when they open a box or um, pick up a particular teddy or. And you could probably just map them all out and just have something set that you played every time. But I'm quite enjoying using my my jazz skills. Yeah. And 
each time I'm playing, I'm kind of doing those things and in a different way and just mixing it up and, um, yeah, making it a bit more fluid. Makes it fun and interesting. Yeah, definitely. I was yeah. talking to a musician um, a couple of weeks ago and we were talking about the the, rep- the jazz repertoire and how it facilitates people in other circumstances. And mm. like you just explained then, is that sort of something you were talking about then when you, you got to use your jazz skills a bit more? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm actually, I think I'm probably the ultimate example of someone who's using jazz skills but not, but not really playing jazz that much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> um, because most of the music I'm doing now is probably a little bit more classical than jazz. Um, like Forevermore, the album that came out last year, was with a jazz um, sextet and and I've certainly found myself kind of coming back into that world a bit more and I do jazz club gigs and, and stuff again. But overall my career is sort of slowly shifting more into the space between jazz and classical and um you know, I, I play school. I'm playing so many dominant seventh chords. Yeah, right. <laughs> I can't remember the last time I wrote a piece with a dominant seventh chord in there. Um, but um, yeah, but I, but because of the the jazz training I've had, it's constantly affecting the harmony with which I'm writing and the kind of um, fluid improvisational style of piano playing that I'm using. But I'm. It's kind of almost like I'm doing it in more of a sort of cadenza-like fashion in some pieces. Like they sort of, I get to like a break between sections and I'll kind of wander off and improvise some piano melodies and then resume the next section of the composition. Um, Whereas five years ago I was writing, you know, with lead sheets still and everyone would take a solo. Um, But now it's kind of this weird blending of um, genres yeah, and I'm still improvising all the time. I remember um, like a somebody asked me about the difference between um, what I would play in a classical venue and what I'd play in a jazz venue and I, and I was like, don't tell anyone, but kind of there's no difference. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean the main difference would be the instrumentation that's with me. Um, uh, yeah, and perhaps the song choices, what pieces are played. But the style of playing I'm doing at the piano is not actually that different. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. So mm. you've got a, a commission coming up. I noticed you're writing a piece, a chamber piece. Is that correct? Mm. So yeah. How, how do you switch into, because I noticed the instrumentation, as you said, you, you don't play differently, but you've got different instrumentation around you. Mm. How did you make that branch into writing in a jazz way or a classical way or is it a bit like what you said? Mm. It's a similar thing. Is that what it is for you? Yeah, um- it, it's been a slow evolution away from writing in a jazz way because, you know, I had a piano, a jazz piano trio for a really long time and that was very, um, that was more of the lead sheet type setting, just write, trying to write lovely changes and a lovely melody and using that as a framework. And then slowly I found myself writing with more and more um, ostinatos and then sort of breaking away from it being a short form composition and becoming longer. And um, parallel to this, I got asked to write a commission for Plexus Collective, which is a Melbourne-based um, trio that sort of um, Monica Kuro on violin and Philip Arkenstall on clarinet and then uh, and Stefan Casaminos on piano. 
And that was particularly interesting um, for me because I was like, oh, someone would want to hear me write for somebody else to play. It was sort of like a revelation. And um, uh, it was a huge journey because they said, can you write, you know, a seven-minute work? And it had to be fully notated rather than changes because they were classical musicians. Um, And I was completely overwhelmed by the task and nearly bailed multiple times but I persisted and yep. um at the premiere I was it was just that incredible feeling of sitting in the audience and someone else is premiering your work and <laughs> just thinking to myself gosh this is such a great idea <laughs> don't have yep. to worry about pulling this off um and it went really well and it, it's been a piece that's been performed many times since the premiere by different ensembles which is um a beautiful honor um, what was that called again? It, Just, yeah, it was it's called title? Into the Light. Into the yeah, Light, right, it's called cool. Into the Light. Um, and, yeah, so that, that was probably the first thing that pushed me into that classical world. Um, and it was probably still another five years until I went back into that space again and um, got asked to write a couple of other commissions and and then sort of slowly I've found a little bit more confidence in that world and I'm now doing a master's in composition at the Conservatorium of Music. Um, And, yeah, so it's been a bit of a journey. Thank you. 
So with your master's degree, are you primarily focusing on classical composition or are you also including jazz as part of that degree? Uh, it's a classical composition um, master's, yeah. So there, there, are, there are some improvisational aspects to the pieces I'm writing, but reasonably a reasonably small amount. Um, and it's been interesting trying to figure out exactly how to get that um, sweet spot with the music I'm writing where it could be played by a classical piano player that doesn't have any jazz training or perhaps even much confidence as an improviser. Yep. Um, but also not take away the kind of spontane- spontaneousness that I like about the music that I make. Yep. Um, and I, it's, it, that's probably more of a longer-term um, exploration, <laughs> maybe across my whole career perhaps, um, figuring out the right language to put on the page. Yeah, right. To get that, that, that middle ground somewhere. But at the moment what I'm doing with my pieces, uh, say, for example, the album that's about to come out called Hope, um, so that's coming out on ABC Classic and it's, it's a very strongly um, classical record or neoclassical record. It's for piano and a string quartet and electronics. Right. And um, in, in most of the pieces I've, I've got improvising of some description, um, but when it comes to publishing the scores and making them available for perhaps other people to play or to submit for my masters, probably what I'll be doing is um, transcribing the notation that I played on the record um, in those improvised moments. Right, okay. But then indicating that that's optional. So if, okay. Yeah, yeah so if, if you didn't have any improv abilities, you could play a, the transcribed notes or some, perhaps I might even improve upon them. Yeah, right. <laughs> Make it <laughs> even better. Um, and, and so that's option one. Or option two is there's changes on the top and you can improvise like I do. Yeah. Um, I think that's probably where I'm going to go with this next phase anyway. Yeah. Yeah, very cool. I noticed yeah. that a lot of your album albums of late um, and the ones I listen to are very much inspired by nature. Can you talk about <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk about <laughs> your connection with that and how that actually inspires you to write? Yeah, it's, it was only recently actually that, I looked at, I was redoing my website and I put all of my album covers up on like a releases page. And I sort of looked across and was like, hold on a second. Every single one of them has trees or plants or <laughs> sky or something in them. Every single one since the first thing I released um, 13 years ago. Yep. <laughs> so that's interesting to reflect upon. And, Recently, a reviewer described my music as neo-romantic and now I'm thinking, yep, that's totally my vibe um, where, yeah, it's it's sort of reflecting upon the natural world um, and is inspired by a, a lot of the sort of the beauty of the outdoors perhaps. But, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, but more, more specifically I think in recent times, like Hope in particular is sort of a climate change themed piece or okay. a themed yep. album. Um, 
and it's sort of reflecting upon the Black Summer bushfires and um, inaction on climate change, amongst other um, world events of 2020. Yep. Yep. Um, and 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 there's probably been also throughout the music I've written before, um, just little pockets of things that had a bit of an environmentalist um, bent to them. Um, but yeah, I think it's often maybe less literal. Um, like I find the way that I think the reason why I'm drawn to these album covers with trees and sky and stuff is because I think there's a lyricism in the way that I'm writing melodies and harmony that fits with that that type of um, visual experience. Yeah. So even if the song's about my dog, it would still yeah. have um, some kind of impressionistic lyrical sort of aesthetic to it that would that would go nicely with looking at tree branches mm. um, upwards and seeing the sky behind them, you know. <laughs> yeah. That's the type of, um, yeah, so some of it's literal and some of it's more um, inspired or something. Yeah, right. So I noticed that too you've written works based on photographs. Uh, I think you've got a work coming out based on that or you have mm. a work based on that. How important yeah. is it to have a visual connection to something you're writing musically because I, I, I felt mm. that but is that something that really, do you notice a difference in the music when you do it that way as opposed to just ah. a tune or is yeah, there? Yeah, it's, you should ask me that question in about 10 months' time and I can answer it okay. really well. <laughs> because, we'll get um, back to I you, eh? Want, yeah, 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 you can do a part two. Okay. But, um, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I just received the um, Merlin Meyer Commission at the That's Reform right. Centre. Yeah, I was going to ask about yeah, that. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Which can is, just explain um, what that is and then bring it back to our question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. So it's a, it's a biennial um, commission offered to a female or female identifying composer um, from anywhere in Australia and the funding uh, provides the space and time to compose and then they also put on a big concert in the salon and they match you up with an ensemble or, or you can indicate an ensemble you'd like to write for. Right. Um, and I, I was really not expecting to be um, selected and it's it's a huge honour and um, I'm writing for the Inventi Ensemble to perform. Right. Who are they? Oh, yeah, they're, yeah. Yeah. No, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, they're a chamber music ensemble in Melbourne led by an oboist, Ben Opie, okay. and a flute player, Melissa. Oh, how do I pronounce her name? Doak? Doak? <laughs> I should that check sounds this good. before we'll go with our that. <laughs> premiere performance. Um, and then they have other... Um, chamber musicians join them as required. They kind of go up to about a quintet in size with string players as well. Okay. Um, and, yeah, so the pitch I wrote for the commission was to create a chamber music suite inspired by the photographs of a Victorian-era British photographer called Julia Margaret Cameron, and she's one of the very first female photographers and she has these really beautiful sort of pre-Raphaelite style images. Um, they often recall allegorical scenes or biblical scenes. Um, and she often took photos of women and children. 
which are really interesting to me because there's obviously a lot of portraits of eminent men, but yep. Yep. she was often <laughs> taking photos of like the servant girl um, okay. or friends and, and um, they're really beautiful images. And to my knowledge, no one has written any music to her photography before. Um, and I had the idea ages ago and I ended up um, in London at the National Portrait Gallery and I asked to see some of her images and they let me make an appointment and I went sort of back backstage. I don't oh, know what nice. you call it. But, yeah. you know, um, not yeah, they weren't in an exhibition at the time and they got, they got them out for me and showed me. Um, and it was really moving to have the chance to look at them and hold them in my hand. Um, But then I had to sort of park the idea for a really long time because I couldn't think of a way to bring it to life. Um, And when Mel and Maya came up, I thought, oh, this is kind of perfect because um, it's a well-supported commission, but it's also in a space which is good for things like projecting images on the walls. Okay, right, yeah. um, Yeah. So, yeah, so that's what that is. And so (laughs) I can't actually think of another time when I have written music to an image. Um, But I will be doing it a lot. In fact, multiple images soon. Yeah. And that's part of that project, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, very cool. So when you think about, um, do you think now that you've sort of been writing this neoclassical music, you're now at a space compositionally where you feel like you can pull off that writing for for those images or those photographs? Oh. That's a good question. Um, uh, I don't know if I f- feel <laughs> confident about <Yeah. laughs> anything. Well, um, I'm not saying you should feel overly confident, <laughs> but the skills you've learned and that, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I've, I feel like I'm slowly cultivating the skill set to bring my own ideas to life. But I, I think it's very gradual, actually, particularly in the classical space. I'm kind of entering at a side door. Um, like there's a whole bunch of things that undergraduate composers would be learning that for me at postgraduate level I have no knowledge of because I have a jazz background. Yeah, right. And so I'm sort of hurriedly um, Googling certain ideas or asking people or listening to works and and sort of trying to catch up as best I can. But um, often because I get really busy, all I can really do is just make sure that the idea I have in my head um, I can put on the page in the right way. That's about yeah. all I can keep up with yeah, yeah. most of the time. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I think hopefully uh, as I get older, I'll just sort of really find my groove yeah. with the classical stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah, It's it, I quite enjoy being between genres because then I just do my thing and yeah. I don't have to worry about, how it compares to others or um, what precedent might have been set before me. Yeah, that's a good um, point. Yeah, but, well. ev- yeah, but eventually I suppose um, you have something that is held up against others um, and, yeah, hopefully eventually I'll, I'll start to feel more confidence with, with being called a classical composer or a jazz composer.
it's interesting that a lot of the new jazz that you hear does seem to combine a lot of that classical those mm. elements i'm not sure if i was listening to the latest linda o recording and she's got she's very heavily now into the classical genre and it's amazing how it beautifully fits into the improvised setting that's what's really strikes mm. me and so it it sounds like even though you've come in the side door you've also got all this other information to offer to a very that to a maybe to a class of people that or, or, or a group of people that would never be exposed to that i don't know if that's possible or not <laughs> yeah you know i think that's true <laughs> I, I remember there's a, a friend of mine I met at um, the at the Con who yep. was been studying. He was studying honors, and I was doing masters, and um, I had one of my works um, in progress showcased, or I can't remember where. <laughs> and he said something like, "Oh, Nat, the harmony you write is just amazing," and I said. Oh, I can just teach you some basic jazz harmony, and then <laughs> and then you'll be on your way. Yeah, <laughs> and he was like, "Oh, I don't know if I can do that." Yeah, so, um, it is a, it is a little bit funny. Yeah, that there's yeah that that part of it. Sometimes I'm like, "That's that's just a minor nine chord," you know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah. But then there's a the whole bunch of things about classical harmony that I don't understand at all. It's it's like the it's probably a way that you would describe it in that setting that I have no idea. I'm just composing from the gut basically all the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, right. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> I also read that you have written a series of lullabies when you had your uh, first child. Mm. And, um, so... Was that out of um, and and they've been very widely received by the by reading about it and things like that. Was that something out of trying to get your baby to sleep, or was it just something that you, <laughs> out of necessity, or something, or or you just thought yeah. I'm gonna you're inspired to write because of your child? Yeah, you know, the actually the idea for the lullabies came about when I was pregnant, actually. Okay, and it was partly just a purely pragmatic thing. Where I was like, what what music could I possibly make when I'm sleep deprived <laughs> and unable to really leave the house or do anything substantial? Um, and that was where the idea was first formed. But I also realised that it was also about the fact that my music has always been quite gentle and lullaby-like in quality. So I was like, this is a great idea because all I have to do is just keep doing what I'm doing, but modify it a little bit so that they're just very sweet, simple piano lullabies as opposed to more fully formed, um, you know, more like elaborate yep. sounding pieces. Um, and I interviewed a couple of music therapists about what kind of principles you could work with to help babies fall asleep. Right. And they pointed me to some research papers um, about things like what tempo, um, what sort of time signature or harmony you should use. And a lot of it is probably very predictable, like um, writing with simple harmonies and writing in 2-4 or 3-4 and using a lot of repetition. Um, and I was thinking, I could, that, that's great. I could do all those things. That's easy. <laughs> um, but the thing that actually probably stayed with me the most was that they said um, that, you know, one of the key um, aspects of 
being a music therapist, it, when you're working with a, a, a baby or a child that is in sort of like a hospital setting or needs support in some way, one of the first things they'll probably be doing is asking the parents what kind of music they listen to at home because they want to kind of create um, a musical setting clinically that reflects the type of environment that they would have at home because if the parents are calm, then the mm. baby's more likely to be calm as well. Yep. And that was the thing that really stayed with me because I thought, the last thing I want to do, if I go and get all these research principles and go and make this album in three, four time and the tempo's, the, you know, same as a mother's heartbeat and it uses repetitions of the letter and, if, you know, if I ticked every box, um, it would end up being another one of those um, kids' music albums that is probably just like the kids are into it but the parents just going absolutely yeah. insane turn that off <laughs> um yeah so i kind of wanted it to be a like a the the opposite of um hearing you know twinkle twinkle little star over and over on the baby monitor played as a midi file yeah yeah <laughs> and um and so i just kept coming back to that idea of um would the album be enjoyable for an adult to listen to even if they didn't have a child yeah, um right. And so as I was writing the pieces, I kind of kept coming back to that premise. So I'd sort of write it in a basic way, but then I kind of let it evolve and be completed in sort of a more nuanced and kind of usual, usually musically satisfying way. Um, and what I just didn't really realise is that it, in the end, that meant that it was soothing for the babies. Like heaps of babies and kids fall asleep to my music, which is awesome. I love it. But <laughs> what, what's been particularly moving is that it's played by people completely across the lifespan from, um, from the birthing suite um, to the, some people the final hours of their life on wow, this planet has been listening to my music, which is just wow. incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I just never expected that it would have that kind of reach. Yeah. Um, and it's it's really quite an honour. Um, yeah. Yeah, feels great. great. Yeah, it's really Slightly nice. Slightly overwhelming and great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Quite, in, quite intense but also very soothing, you know, just hearing about it. So that's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's so how do you follow? <laughs> yeah, it would be. <laughs> how do I'm you follow up albumitis at the moment? <laughs> oh right, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not a bad problem yeah. to have, really. <laughs> oh, it's a great dilemma to have. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So how do you balance being so busy? You're a mother. You're studying. You're performing. You're writing. You know, <laughs> how do you? It, there's. I can't imagine there's a secret to it, but. Is there, you know, is it what keeps you going? Is it what makes you tick? Is it how do you do yeah. it? Yeah. Oh, it's a good question. Um, well, I think probably the, the biggest key to my success has been being organised. Right. Um, which, you know, if you walked inside my house, my house is not organised. <laughs> but, well, but, but got if children. you opened up my diary, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but if you opened up my diary, it would be very organised. And right. it, basically I'm always planning out my time um, it, quite, quite heavily and I sort of 
make sublists of lists. So, so you just listed four different roles I play. Each one of those roles would have 10 different things on the to-do list and then I'd be right. mapping all of that out on a Sunday night and then planning out what's the priority and yep. um, chipping away at different things and ticking things off. Um, so, yeah, organisation is number one. And then number two is just lots of really great support with childcare right, and yep. things like that. So at the moment with um, playing with play school, that's over the weekend. So my son's having sleepovers with the grandparents and, yep. um, you know, babysitters coming to the theatre on Sundays and we'll hang out with her there and, yeah. So it's, 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 it's yeah, it's very um, – my life is extremely complex and often exciting and I don't think I would change much of it really except that maybe a little bit less money for Spotify royalties would be great. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, right, yeah. <laughs> so then I could maybe outsource a little bit more. Um, yeah, but I did get a manager earlier this well, – late last year. Right. Which – has been a real saving grace. So, hi, Megan, if you're listening. <laughs> yeah. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, with, such a busy, with such a busy um, schedule coming up, what do you have coming up, uh, releases that you'd like to sort of share with us, tour dates or not tour dates, mm. tours? What, what's, yeah. what's coming up for the rest of the year for you? Ah, well, okay. So We've talked about Play School. In- so. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, I'm touring with Play School in Victoria, um, from now until May, if you have okay. any, if you're going to a play school show um, in Victoria, I will be the piano player. Um, right. And so that's that's first. And um, uh, next week, I'm, uh, yeah, the end of next week is the release of the second single from my um, album Hope, um, which is called Brightness in the Hills. and the then uh, late April there will be a single coming out which is my very first string quartet okay composition um called Over the River and then Hope is coming out in full on the seventh of May and I have um uh, a pre order campaign going on at the moment for CDs and LPs so if you head to my website. You can pre-order give it a plug. Give it a the plug. Hope album, yep, natbarch.com and um, forward slash shop and then you can get, <laughs> then you can get my, um, get uh, that album pre-ordered and I, I'm posting out the pre-orders um, before the release date. So depending on oh, how fantastic. quick Australia Post is, yep. you might get it sooner. Um, yeah, and then after, I'm performing the album on the 14th of May um, at the Melbourne Conservatorium of Music. So you can come and see the, the premiere of it there. Yep. And then in the middle of the year, I've got a national lullaby tour, All Being Well, Touch Wood, yep. um, which is something that was meant to happen last year and got rebooked. Um, and so that's performing um, some shows solo um, and some shows with my jazz quartet that you can hear on the Jazz Lullaby album Forevermore. Right. Um, and we've got some shows for, for families, parents and babies and stuff, and That's some nice. shows in the evening. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's a really – I don't think I'll ever have a year that's as exciting as this one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 2022 is going to be really boring in comparison, but that's cool because you can't always 
do lots of fun things. Well, you contrast it with twenty twenty, yeah. so you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, that's true, and that's that's actually why it's so busy and crazy because it's sort of rolling two years into one. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Well, it's been awesome to- That's all I should tell you about. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm just exhausted listening to it, what you've got coming up. Uh, (laughs) No, 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 that's great. (laughs) It's amazing that you are, you know, able to do so many different things and it's great. And it's been awesome to have you as part of the Australian Jazz and Group podcast. So thanks so much for stopping by in middle of this amazing schedule that you've got. And I have to say, I know you you booked me in- about a month or so ago, and I can see now why with your diary system. So it's, um, <laughs> and even then I yes. got the date wrong. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> oh. so. But, <laughs> well, but. Um, yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me, and congrats on such a great podcast. Thanks very much. And hopefully, we can get you back soon when we could talk more about these yeah. other projects coming up. Yeah, fabulous. That'd be great. Good on you. Thanks, Nat. Thanks.
So that was Let's Go Little Dude, taken from Nat Barcher's To Sail To Sing independent release from 2010. And the track before that was Lights and Shadows from her ABC release Forevermore, her jazz lullabies. And again, a big thank you to the ABC for their blessing in allowing us to play that track. So it's that time again when we wrap up another episode of the Australian Jazz and Group podcast. And it's been so good to have some new music on the show once again. And on that note, if you would like to tell us about your new music or have requests for anything you'd like to hear on the Australian Jazz and Group podcast, please send us an email to Podcast at gmail.com. Also, a big shout out to Nat Barch for stopping by to have a chat. Look out for her and her many projects coming out soon and take the kids out. Catch her on the Play School show. Listen to her bringing her jazz harmony to the many nursery rhymes she'll be performing on that tour. And if you would like to support these artists like Nat and the many others you hear on this podcast, please go and purchase their music. Buy it in any way that you can, whether it be through merchandise, through CDs, through downloads, whatever it is. Support these great artists so that they can continue to make great music. Well, that's enough from me. My name's David Galea. It's been great to have you on the Australian Jazz and Group podcast. And until we see you again next time, it's bye for now.